This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How about you? Good. We've had a, another good week here. Always good weeks at Massive Late Fee. Uh, we recently recorded a special podcast with the Skeptical Skeptics. That will be coming out in about three weeks. We'll let you know a little bit closer to the time that it's going to be released. But we're talking JFK conspiracy and and a couple other things. But uh, that was very fun to do. We enjoy our time with the Skeptical Skeptics. They're definitely a great podcast. If uh, you're interested in that kind of thing, absolutely check them out. They they do a fantastic job over there. That was a lot of fun, don't you think, Mike? Yeah, I really enjoy uh, the one we had yesterday and the previous one we had with them. Uh, they're really fun people to talk to. Yeah, for and sure. really, even if you just follow them on Twitter, uh, there's a lot of like interesting facts you know that you get from there. Yeah, they, they, they're very active on Twitter. They post... Almost every day at SkeptSkeptPod on Twitter. But uh, into the news today, um, Mike, I know you said you've got a news story. Do you want to go first or you want to save it for last? It doesn't matter to me. Uh, my news is that uh, Kevin Smith is actually auctioning off some of his old uh, hockey uh, jerseys. Interesting. Really? Yeah, since he had a, a very massive heart attack last year. It was actually around this time, I think, uh, almost a year, maybe a little after Mm-hmm. At this point, um, he's auctioning off quite a few of them. They seem to be in the two hundred dollar range as of now, but I'm sure that'll even just go up. Well, that you know, he might have worn some of those in films too. I mean, I definitely recognize some of them. I don't know if they were necessarily. I, I mean, I've seen lots of pictures of him and different things he's done, you know, on podcasts and stuff. I'm, you know, as we both know, we're fans of Kevin Smith, right? I mean, like, there's the one with like the Darth Vader like helmet and that kind of thing. You know, oh, you, yeah. you'd, you'd recognize him if you saw them. You just have to go to his Twitter, and he's retweeted the link. Cool. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. Um, I don't know. That would be interesting to own a uh, a Kevin Smith jersey. Well, he smells like Muse. <laughs> But, um, yeah, there's there's a few news items this week that I thought were somewhat interesting. The whole Jussie Smollett uh, saga, it continues to play out. This is the actor from Empire who was either savagely attacked by people unprovoked who shouted homophobic and racist slurs while they beat him up, or... They were people he paid to beat him up for reasons unknown. I mean, I I can't think of why he would want to to do this. I mean, the, the, so reportedly, they attacked him and they shouted Empire faggot and Empire N-word at him because he is homosexual and uh, and black. While he was and an Empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My wife said... Um, when I was talking to her about this story, she said that uh, maybe the, that it was for publicity, which got me laughing because I was just thinking uh, while they're being Empire faggot. Oh, well, by the way, watch Empire at uh, eight o'clock on Sunday on Fox. But uh, it just every uh, week we see you right after House MD. <laughs> exactly. Or whatever time. I, I have no clue. Yeah, I don't watch the show, actually, but I hear it's good. 
Um, but yeah, so that's a b- bizarre story. Uh, obviously, if, if he did pay them to do this and then lied about being the victim of a hate crime, his career is surely over and, and he would definitely be facing some sort of jail time. Just odd story. It's very strange. I mean, if, if it is, is in fact what happened that he paid these people, I don't know how you would think you would get away with anything in this day and age, especially in like a big city like Chicago where there's just cameras everywhere. Right. Yeah. He, um, obviously he denies this. Um, the two, two people were arrested and were not arrested, but brought into the police station in connection to this, but they were released uh, and most of what has come out is basically rumor. The police obviously aren't uh, commenting since it's an active investigation right now. It is a little curious that if they were the men involved that they weren't arrested, but I guess we'll just have to see how all of this plays out. Yeah, it's definitely entertaining for sure. Speaking of things that are entertaining, <laughs> maybe... Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a show called The Banana Splits. Uh, it was a British... I've heard of it. I've never seen it, though. Yeah, it was or... a, It was like a British live-action animated mashup from Hanna-Barbera uh, in in, between 1968 and 1970. They are going to reboot it as a horror film. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, a Hanna-Barbera-inspired horror movie. Uh I can I can kind of see this. I I've I don't think I've actually ever seen the show. I've seen images of the show and it reminds me kind of of HR Puff and stuff which I have seen uh some of those Sid and Marty Croft things with the the giant puppets with the big heads. So yeah. I could see that as nightmare fodder for some people. Have it directed by Guillermo del Toro and I'm in. Right, exactly. Um what else we got here? So Star Wars, so the uh, the Star Wars news that you love so much, the uh, the trailer for the new Star Wars Episode Nine is supposed to come out in April. Uh, the Avengers: Infinity War Part Two, what's it called? Endgame is also coming out in April. So I assume that they're releasing it then to coincide with the release of the Avengers movie so that it can get shown in the as a trailer in the theater while Avengers is out since they're both owned by Disney. That kind of makes sense to me. Uh, are you looking forward to seeing the new Star Wars film or you just don't care? Uh, not at all. I just couldn't care less. <laughs> Uh, I, what I find out is they pay so much for advertising for like the Avengers or like Star Wars. I mean, do they really? How much influence does it really have? You know, like oh, if we don't put a commercial for Star Wars, no one will see. It. Yeah, you know, I honestly think that they could just release one into the theater tomorrow, and it might take a few days for people to for people to hear. Oh, hey, you know, there's a new Star Wars movie, but that. That would travel on social media so quickly if they. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't even take a day when uh, Beyonce released an album just like by surprise a few years ago. Like everybody knew about it the next day. Yeah, exactly. And people would rush out to see it. I, I agree with you. I don't think they really even need to spend any money on this at all. They could just have a video of George Lucas counting money, and then people go, "Oh, Star Wars." <laughs> I guess I guess he probably I don't know if he has any percentage in the company anymore if he just sold it outright to uh Disney. He sold it outright and then he got he got money and he got Disney stock in return, but I believe he sold all of his Disney stock. 
oh, that was probably not very bright. Right, exactly. You're going to starve now. <laughs> uh, so, but speaking of more Disney news, they uh, obviously... Hugh Jackman is out as Wolverine. He he stepped down a while ago, said that he doesn't want to portray the character anymore. I think he feels he's gotten a little too old. He's done it for long enough kind of thing. They, uh, they're talking about casting, recasting him, because he eventually will show up in the MCU because Disney bought Fox and all their properties. So they're about to take control of both the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Rob Liefeld is uh, unhappy with some of the casting uh, rumors that are out there. These are all just rumors, obviously. But uh, he reacted on Twitter uh, to the names Daniel Radcliffe and Zac Efron being considered for Wolverine. I Radcliffe, he seems, I, you know, it's, it's so hard to tell when you see somebody on screen, but he seems short to me. Efron does too, kind of. So I can kind of see where they're see, coming think, from. I think Daniel Radcliffe for sure seems kind of short. Um, I don't think he'd be. A, I don't think he'd be a terrible choice. I mean, Wolverine's like a kind of small guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously Daniel Radcliffe. Well, I don't. I don't know why I say obviously. I've never seen him act in anything in my life, but he apparently is a good actor. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I mean, you just have to be like, you know, have to obviously build up a bit of muscle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Also, he... Can they can they find a Canadian for this role? Yeah, no kidding. That would be great if they found like an unknown short Canadian actor. Oh no, I was hoping like Bruce McCullough. He doesn't look very tall. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> oh my God! Like fifteen years ago, Bruce McCullough would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah, we're killing Magneto. <laughs> Oh my god! Can you remember uh, when he used to when he that? What was that one sketch where he wanted to fight that guy and he just? He... And I, I can't remember the character name, but yeah, that was a reoccurring sketch. That was pretty good. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that is totally Wolverine. Oh, um, I, I know you said that Mark McKinney's in like that uh, that one show about like Walmart or whatever. Superstore, yep. Um, but yeah, I don't really know why uh, none of the kids in the hall have really been in a lot of stuff. I mean. You know, obviously Dave Foley was on news radio for a time. Yep. And like Scott Thompson kind of appears here and there. And I think Bruce was directing for a while. Yeah, I think he does I mean, a lot of stuff behind super, the camera. Yeah, they're all like super talented. I mean, you know, they're all hilarious. They can write, they can act. They're, you know, funny. I, I just don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's some sort of bias against them, maybe, if their humor is a little too Canadian English. And not enough American. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, but uh, Mike Myers kind of has the same sentiment, you know, as far as comedy goes. That's true. Although I haven't seen a movie from him in a while either. But yeah, they, I, I obviously both of us love the kids in the hall, and I love all of them. Brain Candy was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and um, yeah, it's it's weird that they haven't done more. Probably the most mainstream successful one was probably. Uh, Dave Foley, I would I would assume. Although Scott Thompson, or not Scott Thompson, um, the one on Superstore, I can't think of his name now. He, Mark, Mark McKinney. Mark McKinney, yeah. He's had, uh, late, later in his career now, he's had more of a, a resurgence. Scott Thompson is like, I don't, I, I think he was doing something with comics uh, recent, recently, as recently as maybe five years ago or something like that. But I can't I'm remember. Sure. 
he I know he's been on Conan uh, quite a few times. Um, he was doing a play doing plays for a while. The, the kids in the hall a couple years ago did a thing, um, like a, a mini series in Canada. I think it was called Death Comes to Town or something like that. Okay, I didn't see it, um, but they were they toured like a good uh, I don't know I'd say five years ago at this point. My wife and I saw them and it was just the best. I mean, they were so good live. It was amazing. Yeah, they're 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 awesome. I would definitely if they were going to reboot anything, I would love to see a reboot of the kids in the hall, either the TV show or just bring them back together to do a movie. Or something yeah, ne- like that. Netflix, if you're looking for a new series, call up the kids in the hall. Absolutely. Yeah, they would they would be brilliant, especially uh we need comedy like that in today's climate. There's not enough of their the kind of comedy they did. Yeah, it's just uh great. But um the last bit of news that I have is apparently Blumhouse has the rights to Scream and Hellraiser, I guess, because they're talking about doing reboots, this is still in the planning stages, but doing reboots of both Hellraiser and the Scream films. Um, I'm mixed on this in the fact that I think rebooting Hellraiser could be interesting. You could do something interesting with that. Scream, I don't I don't see the need anymore. I mean, Scream... Yeah, I don't see an improvement that's possible for Scream. Yeah. The first Scream movie was amazing. Yeah, and the thing is, is like they, you know, Scream came out to sort of, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a parody of horror movies, but it was sort of, it was like a meta horror movie where, oh, it, for sure, yeah, where kind of, you know, it it re reinvigorated and reinvented the genre, and I just don't, you know, if you're a big horror fan, like some people I know are, and I'm kind of a periphery horror fan, there's some really good work being done in horror movies, not necessarily the mainstream ones, the big blockbuster ones, but in a lot of ones that come out on Netflix or are on other other streaming services, there's some really good work being done in horror currently, and I just don't really see the need for a Scream-like film right now, and like you said, I don't I don't see how they could improve upon it really in any way. Oh, that was that's a really amazing movie in a lot of ways. I mean, just you know, Wes Craven and I think Kevin Williamson is the guy's name who was doing Dawson's Creek at the time. They kind of came together. Yep. And uh, he had an idea for I think it was actually originally called Scary Movie, which is also the name of the parody movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there's more parodies of Scream than there is you know actual Scream movies at this point. Yeah. I think there's four Screams and like. There's quite a few of the, uh, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? Scary movies and, yeah. Scary mo- yeah, scary movie and that kind of stuff. The, uh, what is it, uh, Friedman and Seltzer, I think. Those are the guys that do those movies. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the very, the original one, like, you know, it was just, there was a lot of, like, inside references. Like, uh, Drew Barrymore was, like, you know, billed as, like, one of the biggest stars in the movie, and she dies almost immediately, much like a... Janet Lee and the and the original Psycho and yep. probably the Shot by Shot remake as well. Yeah, exactly. The Anne Hache version. Yeah. Oh, um, but I mean, it's just I mean, greatest. I mean, there's a lot of inside, you know, reference. It's just a really like great, you know, movie. But I mean, the second one was okay. Then the third one they tried to claim was a trilogy from the onset. Okay, mm, right. Um, it's like, oh, the, uh, if you make a third movie, it's, it doesn't mean you made a trilogy. I'm sorry. Yeah, you just made three films. Trilogies yeah. have to be planned from kind of the beginning, basically. Pretty much to have any payoff whatsoever. But yeah, that is the news for this week. Uh, I will get into what we're watching. Uh, Mike, my what we're watching is going to be pretty boring because I have 
I forgot that the Oscars are this Sunday. So, and I have to watch all the films for the website so I can write about them. So I've been, <laughs> so I've been watching uh, the last like three days. I've been watching all the films that are nominated for best picture. And yeah, it's so I watched vice, the Adam McKay movie starring Christian Bale about Dick Cheney. I watched a star is born. I watched green book, black Klansman, and I think one more I'm trying to think. I had I'd already seen Roma and Black Panther. I haven't seen The Favorite yet. That's the last one that I have to see. And I thought there was one. Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I watched that too. Um, wait, wait, sorry, is The Favorite the name of the movie? Yeah. It's uh, named name the Oscar-worthy movie called The Favorite. <laughs> I know. It should win just based on that. <laughs> But or lose it, just it's uh it's based uh, i think it's queen queen elizabeth the first i think and it's based it's like which which girl am i gonna fuck uh movie that's what it is <laughs> it's oh. Rachel. i think it's rachel vice and um okay emma stone so it's like which one of those girls is she gonna sleep with that's the plot of the movie i believe i haven't actually seen it yet but you know they're like bohemian rhapsody was just bad i mean the like it was Bohemian Rhapsody was the opposite of drama in a film. It was like, uh, hey, Queen um, has a hit with Killer Queen. They need a new hit. Oh, uh, we just wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, and then they move on to the next <laughs> scene. And it's like the most ten- the most tension in the movie is Remy Malek playing Freddie Mercury. Obviously, as we know now, is homosexual, and he was engaged to a, a girl that he met in the beginning of the film and everything. And they have a conversation at one point and she goes, uh, are you gay? And he basically, I'll, I'll paraphrase the, the most dramatic scene in the, in the film. Are you gay? Yeah. Yeah. I always kind of knew that that's okay. We can still be friends. And they hug. <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's just there. Anytime any small problem arises, it's instantly solved. So yeah, not, you got AIDS, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to die though. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Want to do a concert right beforehand? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with it because I lived a good life. Uh, but yeah, like uh, it, it, that's it's just it's ridiculous the way it is. Vice was okay. Christian Bale is really good in it, but um, it's you know Adam McKay. I like some of the work that he does. The Big Short was interesting, but I like that book he was really good he does he does the same sort of style kind of here where there's a there's a narrator kind of guiding you through the story they and there's some parts that are pretty funny actually and there are some parts that uh that are good as far as dramatic scenes go but it's so weirdly structured and weirdly paced that i can't really call it a great movie it's it's okay and Christian Bale does an absolutely fantastic job as as Dick Cheney. And it's not just the makeup. It's not just him gaining the weight and the makeup. The voice, the mannerisms, uh, the emotion that he puts behind, or lack of emotion that he puts behind everything that he says is, I mean, you don't, it just seems like it's Dick Cheney on the screen. He does an absolutely fantastic job in, the, in that movie. Um, I just watched The Star is Born. I didn't love it. It's eh, it's average, basically. Green Book is the one that I think should win. Green Book is a really, really good film. And Viggo Mortensen 
from Lord of the Rings. He plays a uh, like kind of a mobbed up New York guy here. He plays a ranger, is what he plays. Yeah, well, he is he is fantastic. I mean, he is such a good actor to to like the the range of roles that he goes to. It's incredible. So he's very good in the film. And uh, Marshalala Ali, uh, who's from Ga- or, uh, not Game of Thrones, um, House of Cards, who's from House of Cards. That's the first place that I saw him in. He and he was in um, also Nick, uh, Nick, not Nick Cage. Um, uh, what is his name? Luke Cage uh, on uh, Netflix. He, he's very good in the film, too. He's probably going to win Best Supporting Actor. He's fantastic in the movie. Green Book's the one, I think, the best out of out of all those. Yeah, none of those sound even uh, remotely appealing to me. I don't think you'd be very interested in them. But I'd say uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, like the actual way it was written, I think it was like a really long struggle to write the song. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't have dramatized that. Maybe because it was really... Cedric on Freddie Mercury, and I heard that a lot of the movie was like, oh, let's make sure Queen's in this part, because Queen, like, owned the rights to it or something. Like, yeah. they, it was, like, way more Queen than you want. Yeah. Um, Brian uh, May is one of the producers, I noticed that, on the film. And yeah, I think I saw them win some award, and Brian May was there. Yeah, so, I can uh, I can definitely see that complication in it. But yeah, the, the writing of Bohemian Rhapsody, was it didn't seem hard at all the hardest part was they had to convince the um the record producer to let them do it and that was one played short scene myers. yeah played by mike myers exactly that's fucked. but um yeah what have you been watching this week oh uh, as usual i've been watching a lot of the hot ones i love that show yeah me too uh, i'll just i'll just watch any episode and if i don't know the person it'll still be fun Another show I've uh, recently gotten into on uh, on YouTube is I'm, I just watch YouTube apparently at this point <laughs> is it's called uh, I'm gonna mess this up it's called Frankenstein's Machine or something like that okay that's a channel it's just like these two guys who like watch like comedy clips and comment on them it's really funny I don't know why just they're you know huge fans of comedy you can tell and they're just cracky up and like you know it's just like it's just like almost like being in an audience watching these clips mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of those recently we should steal that idea and do that on the podcast. Nice. <laughs> no, but that sounds that sounds good. I'll I'll, I'll check that one out. You turned me on to yeah, hot ones. And I a, love that show. They, they have a ton of like views. They have like a million views on some of these videos of them just watch. It's like literally them sitting on a couch watching a clip. Wow, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. They're you know they're funny. Oh uh, well, educating Mike today. Um, we're going to be educating you on something that. I was educated on as well, and it sounds absolutely horrifying. I think maybe we should do it for a um, one of our uh, famous audio commentaries, but we'll see. Since we're talking today about uh, murder game films, films that have a game to the death in them, or some kind of hunting aspect, something like that. I decided that I was going to do one of the many parodies of the genre, you know, trying to capitalize on the the Hunger Games, the Hungover Games. The Hungover Games is a 2014 parody movie based on both the Hangover and the Hunger Games. 
Appa- oh, that, that's that's just I can just tell it's going to be bad just by the concept alone. Uh huh. Apparently, they have uh, references to Ted, Pirates of the Caribbean, Avatar, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Human Centipede, The Lone Ranger, Django Unchained, Thor, Carrie, District Nine, and The Real Housewives in here as well. <clears throat> I love that that nowadays parody movies are just hey, have you seen the trailer to this film? Well, we're going to yeah, make fun it- of it. <laughs> I would I would miss at least half these references. I don't know what the hell they're you're talking about with half of that stuff. When they did when they did movies like Airplane or Top Secret or stuff like that in the early eighties, kind of when the the parody with the Abrams brothers and uh Zucker, when they um when they sort of came to resurgence again, they used to just be you didn't have to see any of the movies. They just they just had jokes. They were they were yeah. based on some either genre of film that they were parodying. Yeah, or... like Top Secret is actually spy movies and that sort of thing. Exactly. And it was just, they just had jokes. I mean, Austin Powers although, is a I, lot like that, too. Sure. Although I do, actually, there is one exception. Uh, the Mel Brooks movie, High Anxiety, is uh, is specifically a parody mm-hmm. of a lot of like Hitchcock movies. And if you don't watch those, you won't know what he's talking about. That's that. true, for sure. But uh, but yeah, so I, you know I, I hate all the and the, these references they date the movie immediately, basically. Oh yeah, for sure. So here's the plot of the Hungover Games. Oh jeez. Four friends are heading out for a bachelor party for for their friend Doug, who is marrying a man named Tracy. So he's gay in this one. So that's progressive. They Get just it? yeah. Because you know that's funny. You're right. They decide to have a quiet, subdued night at a small hotel in Laughlin, Nevada. They put their friend. I don't think it'll be subdued. <laughs> right. They put their friend Zach in a straitjacket and cone to ensure he does not drug them, and they drink non-alcoholic beer. When they wake up the next morning, they find they are in a strange room littered with party and sex toys, and realize that Doug is again missing. A woman named Effing, which is just the funniest joke in the world, walks in and Zach recognizes her as a remake of Effie Trinket, who's from The Hunger Games. That's, um, I can't think of her name, but the the blonde actress, she's in that huge hair and all that garish makeup. Uh, Anyway, so when Ed attempts to leave, he opens the door only to realize they are on a train and Zach realizes that they are in The Hunger Games, or as Effing calls it, the Hungover Games, a fight to the death in an arena between various Hollywood districts. The three watch a video on Zach's phone and realize that Doug and the trio volunteered as tribute the previous night in their drunken state. The three then realize that they will have to fight in the games to find Doug and get him back to the wedding in time. Yeah, they don't explain exactly. It's it's a mystery. So so you're aware they're in a parody? I think so. Yes. Yeah, it's like that. You, you, you'll. Oh, at the training center, the three become acquainted with other tributes and the heavily favored career tributes, including homosexual Thor, <laughs> Tonto, gratuitous, yeah, gratuitous nudity, which are two topless women. Uh, Carrie, nicknamed Scary. So that's a reference to the uh, Carrie remake. So definitely timely. Wow. And Ted, uh, the bear, reference to the uh, to the um, Ted movie. Yeah, 
I couldn't think of uh, what's his name, the creator, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. Ed meets Catnip Everlean. <laughs> Catnip Everlean, a girl he met the previous night while drunk and who likes him. Soon, training ends and they are sent to rooms where they will ascend into the arena. While searching the rooms, they see a man ascending into the arena but cannot see his face and are forced to leave after Zack spills bubble tea on the room's electronic controls. So that's some foreshadowing right there. They're missing a guy, and then someone ascends the arena who they can't see. Uh-huh. The games begin, and the tributes begin murdering each other. Zack becomes separated from Ed and Bradley. The two. It's funny, too, because they name them Ed and Bradley and Zack, the actual actor's first names. So, okay. also uh, very creative. The two, the two flee and spend the night in a tree to sleep, but witness the careers murder the two other tributes. They see Zach and the career with the careers and realize that Zach has allied with them to help them find and kill Ed and Bradley. In the morning, Bradley is urged by another tribute, Little Boo. To drop a hive of swagger jacks, and then it says in parentheses wasps, onto the careers sleeping below them. In the process, Bradley and Ed are stung several times, and the hallucinogenic venom causes them to pass out. So I can just I can picture that scene where they're just running away from wasps. That's that's always funny. Oh yeah. Except they, for in the movie My Girl wasn't right. as funny. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It was a little, it was a little more tragic then. <laughs> they awaken and find Zach has nursed them back to health, and they go search for Doug again. Zach reveals that the reason they are in the hungover games is because the previous night he plugged in air fresheners that were midnight berry scented, and that the scent of the poisonous berries drugged them. It's so convoluted. Why would they sell that? I don't know. I'm glad I didn't use a cyanide air freshener. He also reveals that the air fresheners, quote, may cause transportation to futuristic dystopia. So I guess that's a warning label on the air freshener. Another dynamite joke. Enraged, Ed and Bradley leave Zack, who is later seduced by a female avatar. He is ambushed by the careers, but is saved by Catnip and Boo, who kill gratuitous nudity, though the female avatar is also murdered. Aww. Meanwhile, Ed and Bradley decide to reunite with Zack after a rule change states that four men who share a bromance can win all together. <laughs> Ed and Bradley find Zack, Catnip, and Boo, and remember that Boo may know where Doug is. I don't know why they think that. They didn't reveal that earlier in this plot summary, but... Uh, Before she can say, she is killed by Thor, who is murdered by Ed in retaliation. After a short funeral for Boo, Catnip decides to leave on her own to kill Tonto. I guess Tonto because the, uh, that remake of of The Lone Ranger, I guess? I guess, With Army Army Hammer and, um, uh, Johnny Depp. Depp. Oh, God. The three decide to head back to the Pornocopia which is what they call it instead of cornucopia, after an announcement that something everyone is looking for is located there. Assuming it is Doug, I don't know why, why do they think everyone is looking for Doug? 
the three rush to the pornocopia, but are attacked by Carrie. Zack murders Carrie in a rage. Ted and the other two puppets attack the three, but Zack is able to blow them up using his Hunger Games' book and catnip returns and saves Ed from Ted. She reveals she was mortally wounded in her fight with Tonto and dies with Ed beside her. The three realize that their prize of the pornocopia is a cell phone and not Doug, and they realize that they will never find him, so they call Tracy to inform him of the situation. However, after a short conversation with Zack, Ed realizes where Doug is and stops Bradley from making the call. Explaining that Doug's tube never came up because Zack's bubble tea short-circuited the tube that sends up tributes, after looking in his tube, they realize Doug isn't there, but Doug emerges from the forest, camouflaged, and attacks them, berating them about how they always forget him and how he's almost never in the movies. The three tell him they will never forget him again and that he will have more lines in the next film, and he decides to spare them. God, this uh, sounds fucking torturous. It does not sound good. Okay, we're almost to the end. Another rule change states that there can only be one victor, and the four turn on each other. Zack proposes that they all eat poisonous berries, as the creators of the game would never let them all die. They would rather have four victors than none, and so would interrupt the four before they can eat the poison. Zack's plan fails after they eat the berries and all die with no one stopping them. Now here's the worst part of this film. They wake up in their hotel room... Realizing it was all just a shared dream. (laughs) The four go to the wedding where Ed laments about catnip, but runs into an identical looking girl who seems to be attracted to him. So it was all, I mean, just the worst of endings. One, it's all a dream. And two, it's somehow all a dream they shared. (laughs) And it told the future as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Oh, it sounds like the worst piece of shit. I mean, most of these movies are pretty bad. This one sounds particularly terrible. So that is Educating Mike for this week. Now we have another uh, special surprise for you guys. We're going to be having some more of these because I've been talking to... We've got Hollywood Connections now, y'all. Um... But uh, we are going to uh, go to an interview that we conducted, or I conducted, with a hot young actor on a new TV show on um, Amazon called Rodney Damon Collins. So give it up for Rodney Damon Collins. All right, everybody. Now we are joined by our special guest today, uh, actor Rodney Damon Collins. You can see him on uh, Chosen Kin which is on Amazon Prime. You can also see him on the web series uh, Single Life. Uh, You can find that on YouTube. Uh, Welcome, Rodney Damon Collins. How are you? Hey, Mark. Uh, I'm feeling great, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Feeling good, feeling fine, and ready to do this, man. We definitely appreciate you uh, coming on. I know that you're uh, from Ohio, uh, originally Toledo, you said, correct? Yes, grew up in Toledo, Ohio. So that's uh, that's pretty close for uh, you know us right here in uh, in Michigan. And uh, you did a lot of uh, local theater and things like that in the uh, the Cleveland area, correct? Correct. And 
one play I was in before leaving the Cleveland area was entitled Soulmate, and I was at the uh, famous Playhouse Square Theater. So it was a great time. Yeah, that's, you know, um, I think that it seems to me, you know, it used to be that you had to be in New York or Los, the Los Angeles area to kind of break into show business. A lot of these regional theaters uh, have popped up in different areas. The same with comedy, like uh, Second City and, and things like that. Do you find that it's easier now for anyone around the country to hone their craft uh, as opposed to having to take the leap and move to uh, L.A. Or, or New York right away? I would definitely say anybody who has a desire to uh, become an actor or get involved in uh, the arts in any way, there are a lot more vehicles out there for somebody to do that in their local, um, in their location where they're at right now. One of my mentors always says that before you move to uh, Los Angeles, New York, or Atlanta to take your career to another level, is that you should be doing work wherever you're living, whatever city you're in, to build and hone your craft. Um, and how would how did you uh, make the decision to uh, pack up and move to California? Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. Uh, the way it happened, well, first of all, I've always wanted to live in Los Angeles. I uh, used to come out a lot as a kid. I have a lot of family out here. I used to spend a lot of summers out here hanging out and just really enjoying the whole vibe of the area. So that's one thing. I always, always had plans on moving here. What happened is about uh, a little over four years ago, I received a job offer because uh, I did uh, youth development in my other vocation. So I received a job offer to come out here and uh, start a start a new branch of this organization out here. Mm-hmm. So that was the vehicle that allowed our family to start the transition to moving to Los Angeles. That's great. Now, would you say that um, that being on uh, Chosen Kin on uh, the Amazon Prime original would would you consider that being uh, kind of like your big break in uh, in acting? I would say, yeah, because you look at the fact that Chosen Ken, uh, this started as a web series, uh, became a comic book, and now it's a graphic, graphic novel. They have an app for the show now, but it started building and gaining recognition overseas and in Europe and in China, and then it came back to the United States, and now the show is on a platform like Amazon. So I would say, yes, for me, that was one of the things that helped really launch propel my uh, career to another level now you know february is black history month and do you do you find that as a black actor that it's more difficult there there are more limited roles uh for you out there or do you think that hollywood has progressed to the point where you have similar opportunities to you know like your white counterparts i will say this that hollywood is progressing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I was. I would look at the fact that for however many years uh, it was predominantly uh, white male roles or white female roles available, and that um, any roles for any uh, black actors, it would typically be a very small supporting role, or as we used to joke about in the horror movies, you know, the black guy would be the first person to kill, be killed in the horror movie. Right. So, you know, but uh, I would say that things are changing. Uh, even so to the point where you look at the fact that they're looking at uh, Adrian Elba to be the next James Bond, possibly. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, you know, that's like, you know, earth shattering. I'm not sure how people will receive that uh, overall, but I think uh, it's really, that shows signs of progression. I still believe that it's important that uh, we as actors and producers and creatives that we create our own work and tell our stories and then submit those stories and try to and get those stories on various platforms. I think it's very important to do it that way as well. So would you say that that, that the key as far as um, getting more equality in Hollywood is uh, black writers and directors, uh, you know, having more avenues to tell their own kind of stories? Definitely. And you look at the fact like, um, uh, some of my favorite actresses, you look at Regina King and um, mm-hmm. Terry Washington, uh, Viola Davis, these actresses who are phenomenal, and I've met each and every one of them. They are amazing people, but now they have um, contracts with major networks to produce and write content. So I think that's when you start gaining that influence to tell different stories. Um, I know you have a, a book coming out uh, March 15th called Shattered, uh, anyone out there, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, you can pre-order that now. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, your inspiration for writing that and, and kind of what the book's about. Okay. Uh, yes. Thank you very much. That book is entitled Shattered, A Journey Through the Pieces. Uh, what is not an autobiography, but what I've done is that I've taken bits and pieces from my life, different stories. And I share and to help encourage people. I want somebody to feel like when they pick up my book, it's almost like that book should be glowing in their hands. I wanted to charge them because I experienced a lot of heartbreak in life. But what I've learned to do, I've learned to take a lot of that heartbreak and use it to drive me to where I'm at now and learn those valuable lessons and those principles from each experience. I even, dealt, I even had a bout of uh, mental illness as a result of a major failure that um, took me down for nearly six to eight months. And I talk about that in my book. I talk about the fact that you are not alone. I talk about the fact that you can get help. I talk about the fact that our job here is to serve others, serve each other. Yeah, I look at the absolutely. fact that, yeah, you know, it's, in order to really achieve your goals in life, you have to be willing to help other people see their goals come to pass. And that's kind of like a paraphrase on Zig Ziglar's uh, statement a long time ago where he said, if you want to, uh, if you help enough people get what they're looking for in life, eventually you'll get what you're seeking. So that's what my book is really about. That's great. Um, So what do you think uh, would be your, your dream scenario to success uh, in the, in the acting field? Dream scenario. Yeah. Uh, right now, I can say that um, someone would discover me from uh, my Amazon show and call me in because that typically that can happen. Mm-hmm. Call me in for an opportunity on a network TV show. That's one of my goals this year is to become a series regular on network TV. When I say network TV, I'm talking CBS, NBC. Uh, the CW, Fox, those networks, I'm talking ABC, I'm talking about those. Right. So that would be a dream scenario for me this year. And I do my dreams now in increments. I don't say, well, five years from now, 10 years from now. I've learned to be present in the moment that I have. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this year, that's that would be a dream scenario for me this year. That's great. Um, and I know uh, you uh, you just uh, finished wrapping on uh, Emerson Heights, which is a, a movie that will be out uh, later this year. Uh, tell us a little about uh, the experience of working on that film. It was a you know what it was an amazing experience. It was the first speaking role I actually received when I moved here to Los Angeles. Okay. Um, It's a romantic comedy, and this is a lesson for everyone out there listening. I was invited to come help on a a shoot day for the the film. Originally, I didn't have any any lines for the show and for the film, but I showed up. I treated it as if I was already a principal actor for the project. Mm-hmm. I was actually there. I was actually at the set before any of the other crew arrived. The director, I was there, ready to go. I treated it very professionally. Um, as we started running the scenes, the executive producer came up to me and said, "Rodney, hold up for a second. So they called, basically a little break on on the set, and they came back to me and said, "We need to give you some lines to interact more with the principal actor. We're going to make you a principal for this film now." So that was that blew me away. That was a little over three years ago right. that the film was shot. And what goes is what I just want people to understand is that when you go, once again, the principle I said, when you try to help people achieve what they're trying to do, you get what you're looking for. That's a, that's the main example right there. Yeah, I was just going to help them shoot their project. And before you know it, I became a principal actor in the project. And uh, the uh, the job interview is another film that you have coming out uh, soon. What uh, what's that film about? So it's, it's it's a pretty cool film. It's a sci-fi mafia type film. Okay. And my character is Craig Usher. There's some established uh, act, uh, people in the industry. Um, there's a singer Howard Hewitt. He's in the film. Uh, actress Patrice. Fisher, I actually play her husband in the film. She's been in several films, and she's been in the industry for 20-plus years. Uh, so that's just a couple to name a few. We shot the film in Vegas. It was kind of cool. This film was shot in three locations. So we shot it in Vegas, Fresno, California, and then in New York City. And it's going to be coming out for distribution later on this year. You'll be able to find it in like Walmart, Target. But um, my character is a, he, he has a, kind of a metamorphosis happens to him because he's very naive to begin. But then he starts discovering some things about his family. And eventually there is an event that happens in the film, which changes what this person is going to be like. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for joining us uh, today, uh, Rodney. Uh, we've had a, a pleasure talking to you. Uh, everyone check out um, you know, Rodney Damon Collins on Chosen Kin, on Amazon, on Single Life, on YouTube. Uh, where can people uh, find you online and, and keep up uh, with what you're doing? I would love for people to follow me on Instagram, Rodney Damon Collins, R-O-D-N-E-Y, Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, and Twitter, uh, this Rodney Damon Collin. They wouldn't allow me to put the S. They said it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> they cut the S off. So I, but I still wanted to keep that branding of my name. I want to be easy to find. And I would love uh, you, to, you guys to follow me there. You'll see more updates about the book. 
I'll be sharing more. Uh, I'll be sharing a video about the book coming up. And I'm just looking forward to just uh, telling more compelling stories that make you laugh, make you cry, make you want to run, <laughs> make you want to do whatever. Right. But most importantly, I want to move people to action. So thank you guys very much for listening to me today. Thank you for coming on, uh, uh, Rodney. It's been a, a great uh, conversation. So uh, check out uh, Rodney Damon Collins. And again, go to uh, you know Chosen Kin on, on Amazon Prime and uh, The Single Life on YouTube. Thanks for joining us, Rodney. Okay, that was our interview with Rodney Damon Collins. We want to thank him again for joining us. Uh, very good conversation. Uh, hopefully, he is a breakout star from Amazon Prime, and you know we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed on that, Mike. Yep. But <laughs> our main topic this week is murder games, as I said, or murder game movies. Uh, these are films that like the Hunger Games that feature some sort of competition to the death. You've got to uh, fight your way out or you're going to die kind of thing. Uh, Mike, what what are some of your favorites that you found in this genre of film? Interesting that, that this is kind of a genre all to itself, but it does definitely exist. There's a lot of examples that, that I found for sure. Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot for sure. Um, I don't know, it's just one of my favorite genres of a uh, movie or even book. Uh, some of these are based on books. Uh, a lot of them are based off of uh, Joseph Conrad's The Most Dangerous Game. Right. Uh, actually, the whole like, base of the genre is, you know, there's like, oh, you're the most dangerous, you know, uh, creature to hunt is man, which is, you know, a common theme throughout these. Mm-hmm. Um, I, a lot of them are blended with other, like, you know, they seem to like, like be almost like a, you know, dystopian type future happens in a lot of them. Like, the, the societies become so corrupt that for entertainment, they... Uh, Will allow people to kill each other and that sort of thing. Yeah, like uh, I've seen the Hunger Games movie. I, I don't really understand what's going on in it because I haven't seen all of it. I've just seen like the fighting parts. I know there's like some weird, like kind of like you know dystopian type future where I don't understand why they have the Hunger Games. I mean, I'm sure they explain it. I assume they kind of do. Um, well, like they explain why they created the Hunger Games. See, I guess I haven't read the books. I've seen some of the movies with my daughter and uh, my wife, who they, they both like uh, these movies. They've seen them all. I've only seen a few of them. But basically, they rebelled against the Capitol, and as punishment, they created the Hunger Games. To basically, you have to give up two of your, your young children uh, each year to be part of this Hunger Games. So it's basically a punishment for the revolution against uh, the Capitol. That's the reason why they why they um, divided the United States into 13 districts. I don't really know. Um, but, you know, that's the other thing. In the movies, I don't think they really make it clear that they're in the United States. But in the books, it's a little more clear that, that this is a dystopian future and not some kind of parallel world. But yeah, the Hunger oh. the Hunger Games is definitely uh, probably the most famous one uh, of all these. I know that there was a legal battle between this the book uh, Suzanne Collins' book and uh, Battle Royal, which is a Japanese. Uh, yeah, I was say, I've seen that movie, and it's almost the exact same concept. It's a futuristic type government where what they do is they take one class from a certain grade every year, mm-hmm. and they uh, kind of like put them on like an I think it's an island. They could be wrong. No, you're right. And each person, 
each kid starts with a different with a backpack, and the backpack might have like a decorative fan, or it might have like an AK forty seven. You know, and it, it's just like they claim it's lucky to draw, but later in the movie they kind of imply that's not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's like the it, I'm I'm not shocked by that at all because it's almost the same movie. Yeah. Basically, what the court found was that uh, Suzanne Collins had drafts of uh, early drafts of the book that she was writing before the movie was actually released uh, and everything. And it was obviously a a smaller, more regional film. It didn't have any kind of breakout success in the United States or Europe, really. Um, So basically what the court found was that it was a coincidence that they that both uh, parties had similar ideas at, you know, around the same time ish and that one wasn't influenced uh, by the other one. So they so she was kind of cleared of the plagiarism charges, but it is interesting how similar they are. They are very similar ideas. Battle Royale is is a little more brutal, I think, than oh, sure. than the Hunger Games is. Yeah, but I mean at the same time, it's not it's not unfortunately it's not really a very unique idea to begin with because uh, one of my favorites in this genre, which my friend Matt hates because he's an idiot, is uh, the uh, Running Man with yeah. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep, that's one of my favorites too. As I'm sure you know, uh, it's based off a of Stephen King uh, or writing as Richard Bachman mm-hmm. a novella, which I I think that is I would love to see somebody film that version of it. It's it's so much better. I agree. I agree. The uh, the novella is like it's like basically someone. And it's not like you know they they have people who hunt you down, but mm-hmm. it's not you know you're not like put in little zones because really you could almost say that the Running Man's a microcosm of the Hunger Games or Battle Royale. Yep. Because they shift you through different areas and you have you know different people trying to attack you. It's just you're not trying to attack the other contestants. Exactly. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah, but- for those of people that don't know, uh, the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger is basically it's a game show, and he's put into this like it's a big arena but it's like a big underground arena and then other people are hunting him and he has to look for things to survive um the book is much different than that yeah in the in the movie um there he's a former criminal who escaped and then they and they basically offer him a chance to be on the running man and if he succeeds and you know he's not a criminal anymore which you know isn't a hundred percent right um, but yeah, the, the book it's like basically just like a normal person. Like they they qualify for this game, and then they're they're just allowed to roam free throughout the United States. So you just have to set up a video update every twelve hours. Yep, it's that would be I, I would I would love to see that version of it uh, filmed. Yeah, the the Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman version is is really good. Like you said, it's and it's more complicated because anyone can turn him in. They, they, they offer rewards to um, citizens for tips and stuff like that of where where he is. But yeah, he can go anywhere he wants to as long as he you know does the video recording to send to them to that he's still that he's not basically just um, you know like in a submarine underwater or something like that. Yeah. He has to keep he yeah. has to keep moving. And that um, the Running Man, the novella, is one of the best depictions. It's the most realistic dystopia I think that I've read in a book, and yep. I've read you know a good share of that genre. Yeah, absolutely. It, Basically, it, everyone. Yeah, go ahead. Um, everyone just believes what the media says. They don't really question anything they do. Uh, everyone, you know, can be like persuaded to do something to be famous or you know for money. Yep, and it uh, it ends. Uh, as Stephen King puts it, the Richard Bachman version of a happy ending, where it's uh, it's him ramming his helicopter into the the um, TV station, 
and you know he dies the but everyone in the tv station dies presumably as well and their signal is lost and that's kind of the the victory that he gets from uh from this right yeah i i i, I thought it was a private jet for some reason but you you could certainly be right but yeah it's like that's it's just like the it's just like everything about it is just like a downer but i mean it's 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 really good Another, another, and they used to release it as a, a series called the Bachman Books, or four of them. Yeah. Um, they don't do that anymore because one of the stories, uh, someone who shot up a school had a copy of it, so Stephen King just basically pulled it out of circulation forever. Yeah, Rage. Oh. I actually own a uh, a first edition copy of that of that book. Oh, nice. I, I don't think that it's it's interesting. I don't think it's like the, it's certainly not the best of the four. Um, another one in there that's really good. It's another dystopian type future is the Long Walk. That's my favorite of that, the Bachman books. I like that one too. Yeah, that one is basically like your um. There's I can't remember how many is it thirty maybe even a hundred like young men. It might be one from each state, but I could be wrong. I think no, I think it is one from each state. I think you have to qualify, and so it's it's fifty different walkers. Yeah. Yeah, you have to volunteer. But basically, they walk until there's only one remaining and if you drop off for a certain amount of time you'll just be shot to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to yeah, maintain that's... a 3 mile per hour pace and if like if you drop drop below that you get a warning and then after the third warning you get shot. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a really good book too. That's it's not very long, but that's another like uh great example of the genre. But but the movie The Running Man, even though it's not as good as the book, it, it's not a bad movie. I enjoy it. No, it's still yeah, it's still a very good movie. It's it's different you know, it's similar, obviously. It's it, you can definitely tell it's based on the uh, the novella, but it's um, but it's still it, it's good in different ways than the than the novella. Yeah, it's, just, it's just like it's a very fun like popcorn kind of movie to watch. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime with all the bad puns that entails. Yep. Uh, if you if you just watch it for Richard Dawson's performance as Killian, you, you'll get your money's worth. He's he's hilarious in this. He's like the ultimate like evil version of himself. Yeah, I love Richard Dawson too. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Ventura's in it. Um, I can't remember his name's Bjorn something. A, a, a common collaborator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's mm-hmm. often his uh, stunt double, but he plays a security guard in this. Yep. Um, I can't remember who else is in it. I know, I know someone else is in it that's like somewhat uh, you know well known, but I just don't remember the, well, currently. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's a fun example of the genre. You know, that's a that's a twist where like you know the criminals. Because if you want anybody to uh, kill a bunch of people, then be allowed to go free. It's a criminal, right? Exactly. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you you mentioned it earlier. Uh, the most dangerous game, the short story by Richard Connell. Uh, that's oh, I thought it was Joseph Conrad. <laughs> no, no, Richard Connell. Yeah, but that's um, that's one of the earliest, maybe maybe even the earliest example of this kind of thing that I could find. Uh, it was published in January nineteenth, nineteen twenty four. And as many of you probably already know, the basic premise is that this guy uh, gets, you know, offered uh, this job or this hunt uh, to go on this hunt. And um, he gets taken to a cabin of this rich guy where there's a bunch of other kind of rich people that are getting ready for the hunt. And he realizes that he is the one they're going to be hunting. He he gets a head start, and then they all kind of come after him. And the short story sort of goes from there as to what he can try to do to survive. Um, that's the, you know, it's it was written as kind of a, 
uh, rebuke of big game, big game hunting that was popular at the time with very rich people. It's sort of kind of popular again now uh, amongst rich people. But uh, Connell was kind of a con- conservationist, and he didn't um, agree with you know going to Africa and hunting uh, you know gazelle and and lions and and th- you know rhinoceroses stuff like that. Um, so he wrote this story kind of based on, on that idea, uh, was published in Collier's magazine, which used to be one of the preeminent magazines to publish short stories when short fiction used to be popular in this country. It's so weird to me that it's not considering the shorter attention spans of everyone. You would think shorter fiction would be more popular now, but it really still isn't. No, not for a long time. But yeah, that uh, they they made that into a movie a, a few different times, uh, you know, a direct adaptation of that, and um, that's you know the idea of hunting a person uh, is certainly interesting. It's an interesting idea for a story. Um, yeah, while exciting, I just want to remind our listeners that it's very illegal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> don't uh, don't go find a homeless person and agree to to hunt him for sport. Oh. I mean, it's not, you know, in any legal jurisdictions. Right. I mean, not that anyone would ever really find out. And it's a homeless guy. No one's really going to look for him. If you if you abducted a homeless guy and took him into the woods and you and your friends decided to hunt him for sport, it's not like anyone would really ever find out unless you guys told somebody. But just don't do it because it's, it's, it's poor form. See, I know this is 100% correct because I, I, unlike some people I know, have seen the movie Hard Target. Yes, that's right. Uh, hard targets Sometimes like when you, this one too, right? Yeah, th- 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 there's quite a few that almost are just direct ripoffs of the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Um, surviving the game with Ice-T is one of them. Um, that was one of the ones I looked up, yep. Yeah, that's a really bad one. Uh, hard Target is... Uh, it, it's it's a movie that I enjoy, but it's not a movie that I would say is a good movie. Um, it's it's it, That's the entire premise. It's a homeless person uh, goes missing, and then his daughter, played by Yasmin Bleeth... Uh, Hire some random guy who happens to be a martial arts expert. Okay. A very greasy ponytail, but uh, and he she hires him to find uh, you know, to find her father, and then he becomes the most dangerous game. So yeah. Okay. But he's Van Damme, so he's not some uh, old uh, you know guy who uh, was a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, there's another one uh, from the '80s. Fans uh, like I am of Red Letter Media will probably recognize this. Uh, it's called Deadly Prey. It's also basically a ripoff. It's kind of a ripoff of Rambo mixed with uh, The Most Dangerous Game. And there was a sequel later called Deadliest Prey that uh, was featured on Best of the Worst on uh, um, Red Letter Media on YouTube, like I said. But uh, it's a, the first one was a 1987 film. It was directed by David Pryor. And uh, starred Cameron Mitchell and uh, Troy Donahue and Ted Pryor, his brother. And oh. <laughs> basically, it, um, it, there, there's this guy, Colonel Hogan. Hogan! People are, are not going to get that reference. Too old. But um, he, uh, he's got uh, his mercenaries uh, like are in the woods. And they, they have this thing where people pay money to hunt human beings. So... They get uh, this guy to um, to uh, Ted Pryor as Mike Danton. They they capture him. 
and put him in the woods and they're going to kill him. Unfortunately for them, he's also a highly trained Vietnam veteran. (laughs) So he ends up basically going through Rambo style and murdering all of them. It's a very terrible, low budget, um, low budget film. Uh, Very like it's very reminiscent of like late 80s kind of low budget straight to VHS films. And then in 2013, they released a sequel called Deadliest Prey. This is famous on Half in the Bag, or on uh, Best of the Worst on Red Letter Media, because it features three internet, like three kids on the internet, who are somehow tracking his progress as he's once again abducted and <laughs> and uh, fighting against these guys. And one of the, the girls, the girl that's in the group, she says the line true dat about 15 uh-huh. different times. And it's just, no. they make fun of it as like, uh, you know, it's like a 45 year old person or a 50 year old person thinking like, Oh, this is what teenagers talk like today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very funny episode of uh, red letter media. If you guys want to check that out, but, uh, yeah, those two, uh, by David Pryor and David Pryor's a kind of a famous low budget schlocky, uh, uh, movie maker. So it's definitely, it's worth checking out just for the, it's one of those movies that's kind of so bad it's good. Can you imagine the uh, Pryor brothers uh, and how proud their mother was of them when she heard they were making a movie together? <laughs> right. My once, or my one son's a director, the other one, the star. <laughs> Deadly she gets, all her fr- she gets all her friends together who see it when it premieres. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it premiered at a blockbuster, I believe. <laughs> but uh yeah the uh you know i don't know it might be difficult i, I bet it's on youtube though i'll bet you can find it on youtube or, or something like that we still need to call the uh, last remaining blockbuster yeah i know it's in oh, is it in oregon or washington something like that one of the two i don't remember which one yeah we should definitely do that when we call them up and uh and talk to them <laughs> see if we can run a movie <laughs> Deadliest prey, and then say, uh, and then just tell them, uh, you know, we're not going to return it, but we're just going to wait them out. <laughs> TikTok blockbuster. TikTok. Oh, the um. So let me see what other movies. So, yeah, surviving the game. I looked that one up. That's one I haven't actually seen uh, either. But oh my god, that looked horrible. I almost did that for it's educating really Mike <laughs> until I found the the hungover games. No, that one is uh, not very good. Another one that's uh, not, it's not exactly a game, but it's basically might as well be, is the uh, entire series of the, um, the, uh, shit, what are those movies called? Uh, the, jeez, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. The movies where you have to, uh, like you have 24 hours where everybody's allowed to, The Purge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Purge movies are kind of like that, but not quite. I think, I think I'd count that. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not a game so much, but you know, you could kind of view it like that. Sure. You mentioned the Hunger Games earlier. Um, did you say, did you like those? I mean, the one I saw, I enjoyed. It was kind of a weird movie just in general, but I mean, I didn't dislike. I saw the first one. Uh, I think I've seen the first three, but 
But I, I saw the first one. The first one was almost kind of disturbing because it's like, I mean, I just, I don't know. I just wasn't used to seeing such young kids be murdered on screen. But uh, it was it was decently acted. I think that's, Jennifer Lawrence is weird to me. Every time I see her in a quote-unquote grown-up movie, she just looks like a little kid playing dress-up to me. Because she, <laughs> she has one of those faces where she looks so young and everything, you know? It's like, oh, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's your little sister that uh, dressed up in mommy's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, you know, she's a decent actress. I don't think she's as good of an actress as a lot of people think she is. But this... I've already seen her in the Hunger Games and mm-hmm. the uh, X Men movies where she's in. And I mean, if you replace her with any other person, I don't think I would know. Yeah, and you know, I think, but I think this is the right, at least for the time, was the right age range for her um, and everything. So she's decent in the movie. The uh, I, I really think that Woody Harrelson. And the woman whose name I cannot remember for the life of me that plays Effie Trinket, I think they do both do a really good job. Uh, they're the the strongest acting pair I think in the film. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. It was a decent movie. It wasn't anything that really blew me away, but I, I liked it. Uh, I liked it a, enough uh, to see the rare, other ones. A rare appearance by uh, Wes Bentley. Yes, that's right. Oh, but. Um, yeah, I, I, you. So, which one did you see? Did you see the first one? I honestly might have seen two or three of them. I don't really know, but okay. they just seem like the exact same movie. The ones I did see. Yeah, it's a lot of that. It's a lot. The, after you get past the first one, it's a lot of repetitive stuff. Oh, we, we're going to do the Hunger Games again. And I, I mean, I guess if you could, you know, get you know unlimited funds from doing the same thing, why not? It's just nothing new and nothing interesting, really. Yeah. Um, you know, but the purge, that's, that's, that's an interesting one to me. I've seen the first purge movie. Uh, My wife really liked it. I thought it was okay. It's one of those Ethan Hawke, um, you forget that he's a good actor until you see him in a movie again and you're like, oh yeah, Ethan Hawke's a good actor. Yeah, Um, he's not bad. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, uh, Lena Headley is in that too, isn't she? Yes, she is. Before, uh, Game of Thrones. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's on, on her, on her last, uh, legs, her <laughs> last chance. Right. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, I, I liked the Purge movie. It was, it was the, the whole idea to me is ridiculous that it would ever happen. But, um, but the movie itself is pretty decent. Uh, I haven't seen the, the sequels like the, uh, any of the other ones. My wife kind of wants to see the sequels and every time she suggests it, I'm like, oh yeah, but we can watch this too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, those, I, I hear those are not as good as the original film. Um, what was the other one I was thinking of? That's kind of, it's a stretch, but I can't remember. I mean, like the maze runner is, you know, it's another one of those dystopian yeah. future. Yeah, I haven't seen all that. My, 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 uh, my wife, uh, you know, is a big fan of the first one. I don't think you've seen the other two though. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's seen the second one, but I was supposed to watch the first one. I just never got around to it. Uh, you know, I just realized something else. Uh, Ender's Game is sort of like this. Yeah, a little bit, yes. I mean, uh, um, spoiler alert for a movie that most people uh, didn't know existed or boycotted. Right. Um, the entire premise is that he's in a, a military academy that takes place like in a uh, ship. Not a ship, it's like a rotating satellite type thing in orbit. Um, and then he's like training to become a general to fight these things called the Formers, which are like these big insect type creatures. 
Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole movie, he's just like training up on various things, and they keep advancing him. And then finally, they have him go play this game that's you know the biggest simulation of the whole battle ever. And he finds out after it the whole time that the last simulation was real, and he actually killed all the formers. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, that's definitely a murder game. Just he didn't even realize he was playing it. Was, exactly. <laughs> I haven't seen it. This is the last Starfighter eight murder game. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know that's kind of true too, because he plays that game uh, and then and then uh, does it in real life. Yeah, The Last Starfighter is one of my my favorite films. It's one of those movies that I I when I was because it was such a cult movie when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, I'm the only one or like one of the only ones that really likes this movie or knows about this movie. And then as I got older and the internet came up and everything, I realized, oh, like millions of kids uh, all experienced the same thing and liked this movie when uh, when they were my age. That's funny. Um, there's another movie, I cannot remember the name of it, it's called like Series 9 or Season 9. Does that sound familiar to you? District 9? No, it's not District 9. The, the whole premise of the movie is like a game show um, where people are recorded. You know, they have like... Uh, GoPro cell cams, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they have to uh, kill everybody else. Like the only person left, the last person alive wins. Okay. But it, but it actually takes place in modern times. It's just like, just like assume, like it's just a somehow like, oh yeah, we're allowing this, you know, whatever. Right. It's like a pretty low budget. I don't know if it was an indie movie or just like, you know, someone did it with a bunch of friends. It, it's not bad though. It's interesting. The Some of the actors are pretty good in it. Okay. I, I remembered the one that, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that, but I'll try to look that up. Um, the, the one that I was thinking of now, this is, this is really, really a stretch. Um, but what do you think of, um, Final Destination as sort of like a murder game kind of thing? I haven't seen those movies. Okay. I know the premise, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. So the the premise for anyone that doesn't know is that at the beginning of each one of these movies, somebody has a vision that they're going to die on whatever. In the first one, it's a plane crash and he stops him and a group of his friends from actually getting on the plane. The plane does crash. so, So the vision was prophetic. Everyone dies and they think they've been spared, but then death one at a time comes for them in gruesome like the each like they they suffer much more because they didn't just basically accept their fate that's kind of the premise of the uh of the movie so i mean it's sort of a game for death <laughs> they're like <laughs> there's uh the the character of death is actually played by a person i don't think that we see it in the first one or that we see him in the first one but I think it's maybe the second one that he shows up, but it's uh, Tony Todd, the Candyman. Oh, nice. I like Tony Todd. Yeah, I do too. But he, like, he, he shows, I think he shows up as like an undertaker or something like that. And he has a conversation with one of them and it's not outright said, this is death, but it's heavily implied that he's death and he's coming for them. Yeah, I, I really like Tony Todd. I would like to see him in more things. Like he would have been great in American Gods, but I think he's a little bit too old to play like a mm-hmm. Nukes' role. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he's very good. He actually um, he he liked and retweeted one of my tweets one time. That's my little uh, internet claim nice. to fame. I did a review of a movie he was in called The Man from Earth, which is a like a very it's a low budget movie, but it's about um, this uh, professor who after like 10 years working at this college decides he's going to leave 
and his friends come to try to talk him out of it. And the whole movie basically takes place in his cabin. They start having a conversation and he brings up a hypothetical of what would you think about somebody who just never died or wouldn't die? And it turns out that, you know, he reveals to them that he is from the Paleolithic era. I think he's basically, he's a caveman and he has. Wait, wait, what's this? What? Oh, I think I might have heard about. I might have heard about this before. What's this called again? The Man from Earth. That sounds familiar. It's a very good movie. Uh, it's it's one of those where not a lot happens, but it's a big. It's an idea movie with a, a lot of good conversation. And so he claims that you know he's lived for thousands of years and everything. He talks about different things that he's seen and stuff like that. One of the interesting things is people will tell him, "Well, what was it like?" during this or ask him what was it like during this era and he says i don't remember and he'll say you know think about it i've lived you know whatever whatever it is you know 2500 3000 years or something like that there, uh 6000 at the most <laughs> right the human brain can only hold so much information so he forgets a ton of his life um and uh and yeah so you, you know, it's sort of left up in the air until, I guess, maybe towards the end of the movie, whether or not he's just nuts or he's actually telling the truth. And, this, and you know, each it, the funny part about it is or the interesting part about it is each of the people that he brings is a professor of a different thing. So there's like a history professor and there's a psychology professor. There's a, um, a biology professor, like a chemistry professor, and they they all kind of question him kind of going in a circle almost um based so on their... kind of like back to school at the end <laughs> yeah. but they're but they're based on their own their own point of view you know what i mean like the psychologist asks a lot of you know psych psychological questions and stuff sure. like that um and and so it's it's very interesting in that in that respect um but yeah he it's uh it's quite a uh, an interesting film, but yeah, he's in that. But I don't know. Would you like Final Destination? Would you consider that kind of a murder game? If we're considering that the one playing it is uh, is death. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that would only be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a movie that roots for death, right? Um, yeah, th that's one of those. It's like kind of on the edge of torture porn, I guess, because they're not really being tortured. But it's one of those movies where you sort of root for the the kills i i would say the first one and and the second one i haven't seen a lot of them i think there's like eight or nine of them but um so i've only seen a, a few of them but the i would call them good movies i think at least as far as horror goes because they're actually original and they there's artistry to them because the whole point is making the death like like cool to see like cool looking and elaborate and stuff like that. And they, you can tell they put a lot of work in the writing uh, stages and, and in the, you know, like staging these different um, practical effects and everything to, to make it, uh, you know, to make it interesting. So I, I definitely appreciate that uh, about the movies. You know, actually you just reminded me of an entire other whole series of uh, murder game um movies okay but much like uh much like this final destination franchise these are only a game for one person the entire soft franchise are a whole series of murder game movies that's true you're right i mean the first saw movie uh there's a lot a lot to uh a, a lot that it could have done to be better oh yeah 
Um, I mean, the the premise was interesting. Uh, Danny, De- Danny, uh, not Danny DeVito. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Danny Glover's. The writing was so bad that Danny Glover, who is an amazing actor, if you have, if you don't believe that, watch The Color of Purple, and he's just great in that. Yep. The, some of the the dialogue in this movie was some of the worst fucking piece of shit dialogue you've ever heard in your entire life. Oh yeah. Like it, it's just like if someone had to talk to you like this in real life, you would might check them into like some kind of like a mental hospital because they clearly are having some kind of issue processing the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the whole premise is like there's a game. Only one person knows the uh, the way to beat the game. His name is Jigsaw. Um, I've seen the first movie. I, I've I've actually oddly enough, I've got I do this sometimes. I've gone on Wikipedia and read about the rest of this, the franchise, but I have no desire to see it. Yeah, I've actually seen them all. Unfortunately, a lot. Because I say I know, like, uh, there's like, like at a certain point, like, oh, it's not him; it's his protege, and then his protege's protege. It just seems yeah. very convoluted. But I mean, the whole genre is just like it's a game. Like, if you don't, it doesn't even say, would you like to play a game or something like that? Yeah, he does. <clears throat> I want to play a game, Doctor Gordon. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, I, that one is definitely for sure. That is that is a a murder game for for Jigsaw. Uh, and you know the because and it's one that you can survive if you do what you're you know what he wants you to do to cherish your life or whatever. One of the worst lines in the uh, in the first one is that I think it's one of the cops say well, he's not actually a serial killer because he's never actually killed anybody, and it's like bullshit <laughs> then why is charles man or he's dead now but why was charles manson in jail then you know like uh it's uh it's so ridiculous um, actually i would like to take this opportunity to point out that uh while most people think that charles manson didn't kill anybody there is substantial evidence uh, according to vincent bugliosi's book uh, helter skelter that yeah. he did kill a uh, ranch hand named shorty yeah that's right that's right. He just didn't. Um, he wasn't at. Uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he wasn't at the Tate LaBianca murders. Yeah. Oh, that. I, that I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, here's another tangent. Have you ever read Helter Skelter? That is the best true crime book I've ever read in my whole life. I I've ha- read a, I, a lot of. Them. I have, and I absolutely agree that uh, my sister had it when I was when I was probably way too young to read a book like that because I think I was maybe eleven or twelve. But she had the book, and uh, I borrowed it from her and read it. It is, it's fascinating. It's, um, it's gruesome. It is, anyone out there that's interested in true crime books, check out Helter Skelter. I totally agree with you, Mike. It is the best true crime book I've ever read. You've probably read more than I have, but I've read, you know, I've read a few and it's, it's definitely the best. The amount of detail is just astounding. Like every aspect of every part of the murders are thoroughly examined. And he wrote a book about um, O.J. Simpson as well that I uh, I brought from the library that was like very he basically definitively, you know, proved that O.J. was beyond a reasonable doubt guilty. Shocker. Yeah. What's that one called? Because um, I, I mean, haven't like, read that. It's called Outrage, I think. Okay. And he and he's just basically like he just basically talks about all the faults that the prosecution had, and it's just like wow. I mean, they just really really dropped the ball in mm-hmm. so many different ways. I mean, like any. I mean. When you put Vincent Bugliosi up against anyone else, you could say half competent, assuming he's like the level considered competent. But I mean, it's just you don't understand how he even got away at this point from mm-hmm. like, you know the case he presents. And he also did one uh, uh, on the uh, Kennedy assassination, which you know we were oh, talking okay. about yesterday with the skeptical skeptics. Yeah, I would. I'll. I'll I'm gonna. I'll check out his bibliography, and uh, 
and mark those two down because I I like him a lot as a writer and that Helter Skelter oh, yeah. book is fantastic. Um, yeah, the uh, for for any of you that uh, are thinking of getting into a murder cult <laughs> or or leading one and and but you're not going to take part in the murders, um, yeah, don't. Uh, you know, look at the real life example. Don't look at uh, Jigsaw because Charles Manson was convicted under the uh, the uh, joint responsibility law, law which uh, basically says that any member of a criminal conspiracy can be held jointly responsible for the actions of the entire group. Um, so you will be arrested if uh, you want to do something like that. And yeah, in a lot of states, it's just felony murder if you commit a you know, if a murder happens that you're part to, as far as a felony goes, then mm-hmm. you're responsible for the murder. Yep, exactly. Well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And, you know, he would have, Manson would have faced the death penalty had um, the death penalty not been overturned by the Supreme Court in uh, 1975. And yeah, I think he actually was originally sentenced to death row, but then they overturned it. And then when they, and then when they reinstated it, they couldn't, you know, it was a guy, I don't know if it was considered double jeopardy yeah, or what, but exactly. Yeah. They, uh, the Supreme court overruled it. His sentence was commuted from the death penalty to life in prison. And then they didn't, uh, I, th- no, I don't think they could have retried him. I think it was, I think it was double jeopardy. I think it was double jeopardy. So they just, you know, kept him in prison for the rest of his life. Um, but yeah, so don't, uh, join any murder conspiracies. Cause that's not good no, to do. No. Uh, I'm trying to think, is there, are there any more that I'm not thinking of murder game movies? I'm sure there's plenty that I'm not even thinking of right now. And if you expanded into, you know, books and, uh, TV shows, right. yeah, yeah. I couldn't find a ton of TV shows based on it. I guess, um, yeah, I'm sure they're out there, but I guess that this premise it, it has a limited runtime. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't. It'd be hard to do eight seasons of someone trapped in a murder game. What about that movie? Oh, for sure. What about that movie, The Game, with Michael Douglas and Sean Penn? That's not really. That's not yeah, really, it's not a, really murder a murder game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And really, again, uh, speaking of uh, David Fincher movies, uh, Seven is also a game to only one protagonist, uh, John Doe. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. Because, yeah, like, I think the hallmarks of it is basically setting up uh, the situation. You know what I mean? Like, uh, kind of like he does in Seven, like Jigsaw does in Saw. Um, sure. And, uh, and watching people. It's like, a, it's like a maze, like rats in a maze, watching people kind of run through this stuff for, for entertainment. You know, when you think about it that way, it's I guess it's kind of a commentary on... Um, the way that, you know, like movies and the way that people will will look at other people's suffering for entertainment. Obviously, not all movies are about that, but sure. the movies that I are. Think, I think most uh, murder games uh, movies are a commentary on, you know, how much we allow TV and movies to invade our personal lives and how greedy people are for, you know, entertainment, even if it's the cost of blood, even, you know, back to the Roman uh, times. Yeah. Talking yeah. about Caesar. Yeah. You know, that kind of shit happened back then. True, the original murder games, I guess, is the Coliseum and the gladiator fights. Right, and I'm sure it predates that even. But, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, sometimes a boxing match becomes a murder game. It's rare, but eh, yep, you that's didn't know tr- going in. That's true. Even for football, too. I mean, it hasn't happened since, I can't remember his name, Chuck something, but he was a Detroit Lion, but he died on the field. That was the last NFL player to do so 
I think and it's hard to the team since. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I'm really shocked no one's died. Like, uh, I can't remember who it was who was pointing out, but like when you have like people like uh, Mario Williams, you know mm-hmm. the uh, like what he's like six six, three hundred pounds, and runs like a super fast forty defensive end. Yep. How no one's died with him on the field? I don't know. It's just sheer chance at this point. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Um, there was one other one that I was gonna bring up. That um, oh yeah, have you ever seen the Cabin in the Woods? The Joss Whedon movie? Uh, yeah, I did. I'm I'm not a huge fan of that movie, though. I know a lot of people are really like into it. I would I would probably consider that a murder yeah, game. Yeah, too. we would definitely say that's a game where you're playing against uh, the old ones. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I would uh, for all for any of you who haven't seen uh, Cabin in the Woods, this is a spoiler, but you know it turns out it looks like it's a regular slasher movie, but it turns out that there are people behind it, like kind of. Uh, contriving all these things to happen using magic gas and just a bunch of other kind of convoluted things. But, um, you know, that's another one where it's it's clearly um, the old ones are supposed to represent us. And, you know, we're, you know, they're doing this all for our pleasure. That uh, it's kind of a meta, this is the way horror movies are made sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, definitely sure. that's definitely a murder game too, I would say. Oh. Yeah, definitely. I thought I just thought of another one, but it just vanished. But yeah, there's. I mean, the more we talk, the more I think of them. But it's just like a really weird specific genre that I enjoy. Like if you tell me there's a movie where, oh no, in this in this uh, movie, uh, this guy has to collect these five rings uh, from different you know bureaus uh, bureaus of uh, New York, or he gets shot in the head. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> you know, I mean, Die Hard with Die Hard with a Vengeance had a murder game at one. Yep, that's right. And that's one of the, the best Die Hard movies. Yeah, and every time I watch it, I forgot how I did the uh, puzzle where you weigh the water, and then I figure it out right before John claimed this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's... Um, it's funny because I didn't... I hadn't really thought about it before, if I was a fan of this genre or not, but I've seen a lot of the movies on this list, so I guess I am. Um, you know, like, I, I don't... Like action, I like some action movies, but kind of straight action movies is n- are not my favorite genre of film. But this very niche specific genre of because uh, some of them are kind of action movies. Um, I like I like this for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but I uh, I definitely I do enjoy them. And I think there's I think they're fun. I, yeah, there's something there's something fun and there's something kind of cathartic about them too. I think. That's uh, you know sort of good for the soul, so yeah, uh, it's, it's like a release. It's cathartic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what that word means, Mike? <laughs> no what? <laughs> Any of you that don't know what we're talking about, go out and find a copy of American Movie and just watch it, and then thank us later because I love that movie. <laughs> You're welcome. But, uh, yeah, that is our show for tonight. Uh, we will see you next week. Oh, real quick, um, two days ago, the uh, our uh, Retro Late Fee came out. We're talking about the movie Reality Bites, uh, the Ethan Hawke, who we talked about earlier, and Winona Ryder film directed by Ben Stiller. They They gave him the directing job for this movie, based on his work on the Ben Stiller show on MTV. And any of you that don't like Ben Stiller, just trust me, this is still a really good movie. 
Yeah, I, I just like uh, it's it's very nineties. It is very nineties. Like it's like hard to. I mean, everything about it is very nineties. I mean, the fact that just White on a Writer and Janine Garofalo and Ethan Hawke are at it is mm-hmm. very nineties. Steve Zahn's yeah, in I, it too, though. Yeah, but I mean, I, I enjoy it. Not yeah. my favorite movie, but I, I I won't watch it again. But I liked it the first time. Um. So yeah. So that. Uh, so check that out and. Um, Check out our Patreon. Throw us a buck if you want to help us keep the show going. You can find us on Twitter at MassiveLateFee.com or MassiveLateFee on Twitter, MassiveLateFee on Facebook, uh, Gmail, all those places. Go and look at our um, audio commentaries on Bandcamp. We would definitely appreciate that. Uh, What else? Oh, tell a friend. If you like the show, tell tell a friend. That's probably the the most that you could do to help us out. Really helps uh, cultivate a lot of the listeners. And uh, rate and subscribe on iTunes. Well, I, we don't say that very much, but that is definitely another big help that helps us with the whatever the algorithm is for. I I don't understand any of it, but uh, uh, myspace dot com slash massive late fee. There you go. Yeah, go to that too and be in our top eight. So uh, what are hey, uh, why don't we tell them our uh, Twitter handles if you want to talk to us directly? Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um. Ooh. It's late it, underscore Mike. Yeah. Or is it Mike underscore late? I think it's late underscore Mike. Sounds about right. Or just look up massive nope. late fee Mike. It comes up when you search that too. Okay. So there I am. And you can uh, talk to me at Phillips Writing on Twitter directly if you want, or you can. I, I I do a lot of the um, the massive late fee Twitter too, so you can probably catch me on there. If you guys have any questions, anything you want to see on the show, anything you want us to talk any about, topics. Yep. Talk amongst yourself. Yeah, exactly. We we we're always hungry for more topics. But uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. See ya.